already in my message. If you're a guest, I'm aware of the time, and I'm going to compensate for some of the more of the preliminaries, and I'm going to preach a little shorter this morning. Um, some of you looking at me like, yeah, right, you are. <laughs> so let's dive in here. Mark 16, 13. I don't want to leave without the word that God has given me this morning to give to you. It says, Matthew 16, 13, it says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Let's speak on this topic. The church, say, that's me. The church will prevail. The church will prevail. Lord, thank you so much for what you've done, what you're doing, what you're going to do. Help our hearts and minds to be open to receive your word this morning. And help me not to get in the way. Just speak through me, God. Let, let us receive what it is that you're wanting to show us today in your mighty, righteous name. Amen. Well, I have to give you some background to this so that you know where we're going to end up. As Brother Graham said when he preached here a few weeks ago, the runway is long, but once you get in the air, you're only in an air for a moment. That's where we're going. Our opening text tells us of this time when Jesus takes his followers to this place called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi stood in a lush area near the front of Mount Hermon. Look at this map here. If you want to show that map, you see? So we're talking about right in this area. Here is Mount Hermon. Everybody see that? I got a fancy. Right there. So there's Mount Hermon and... Caesarea Philippi is over in that area. In the Bible, Mount Hermon is noted for its dew and its height. Uh, and it was always a religious place, probably because of the abundance of water, fertile fields on its, on its lower slopes, and then springs at its base. In Roman times, there were temples on its slopes, including one in Caesarea Philippi, and then one at the summit of Mount Hermon. Now, Jesus was at Caesarea Philippi immediately before the transfiguration, which is one of the most incredible spiritual experiences in the New Testament, especially for the disciples. And many scholars believe it was on this high mountain mentioned that that, that, that is actually where the transfiguration takes place. Now, we don't know that for sure because Mount Hermon is not listed in Scripture there, but it's much more likely than other possibilities that would have been further away. So with, there, there is a high probability that that is where the transfiguration took place. Now, this city, Caesarea Philippi, was most likely a very spiritual place for Jesus and for his followers. But it was also a place for false gods and demonic activity. Because how many of you know, whatever God has, the devil also will try to mimic. And so it was a city dominated by immoral activities and pagan worship. Caesarea Philippi stood just 25 miles from the religious community of Galilee, Jesus of Galilee, right? But those cities' religious practices varied vastly. They were vastly different from the nearby Jewish towns, in the Old Testament, the northeastern area of Israel became a center for Baal worship. In the nearby city of Dan, right here, Mount Hermon, here's Dan. Here's Caesarea Philippi. 
The nearby city of Dan, King Jeroboam, the Israelite king, built high places that angered God and eventually even led God's people, the Israelites, to worship false gods. And eventually, worship of Baal was then later replaced after Alexander the Great in the Hellenistic, his Hellenistic influence, the Greek influence, the Greek cultural influence. It's, it shifted from the worship of Baal to the worship of Greek fertility gods. There was a specific case here in Caesarea Philippi named Benias, right there. And this is the Arabic and modern Hebrew name of an ancient site that developed around a spring that became associated with the Greek god of fertility called Pan, P-A-N, just like a frying pan, right? Everybody say pan so that I don't lose you in the history. Some of you are going, this is the greatest start to a message I've ever heard if you love history. Some of you are going, God, please make it stop. I hate history. But you got to understand where we're going. This provides that background. So I'm trying to not go too deep for those of you that are saying, God, please make it stop. But if you look at this area, let's look at the landscape view of this grotto cave. You see? So this right here is the river that would come down, and this is a place of worship, and that's the cave. So just leave that up. The spring you see there is the source of the Benias River and one of the main tributaries to the Jordan River. Now, we've heard of the Jordan River, but archaeologists have actually uncovered a shrine that is dedicated to that false god Pan and other related deities. So what I'm telling you today, it's not just biblical. It's 100% historical. It's proven. You can, you can research it. Look for yourself. I challenge you to do so. Don't just take my word on it. But you look in, in front of this cave. I just want you to know. Let's go to that other picture. In case you didn't know. Pastor Chad and I were there. I just, want, I just wanted you to know that, you know. If you're a guest, we slide it in. We're very proud that we went to Israel, so we slide it in however and whenever we can. Okay? So, so there we got. We got Pastor, just in case you can't tell, Pastor Chad's there. That's me. Um, and so some people think when you pastor a church, you sleep in your suit and tie. So, but... The worship of Pan began in Arcadia and was always the, Arcadia was the principal seat of worship. Arcadia was a district of mountain people, culturally separated from other Greeks once the Greek influence started in that area. Arcadian hunters used to scourge the god if they were disappointed in the chase. So you go out on your chase for the hunt, don't work out, they scourge the gods. Being a rustic god, Pan was not worshipped in temples or, or man-made edifices that were built for them. But instead, Pan was worshipped in, in natural settings like rocks, like caves. And so, uh, usually caves or grottos. And so, these were often referred to as the cave of Pan or the grotto of Pan. Now, the Romans called this place... Caesarea Philippi, in Caesarea Philippi, the Romans called that place the Rock of the Gods. Jesus called it the Gates of Hell. Why? 
Well, Caesarea Philippi was built near a rock cliff. Go back to the landscape picture, please. With water gushing out of the mouth of a cave at its base. And Greeks and Romans believed that hell or Hades was actually under the earth. So they would believe that earth is here and then a layer underneath. Hell and Hades was underneath them. That's why writers would talk about going down into Hades or down into the pits of hell. And so those who lived in Caesarea Philippi believed that an underground spring from a mysterious cave had to be Hades. There, this was the gateway, in their opinion, to and from the underworld. And because of this, they believed that their city was literally at the gates of the underworld, the gates of hell. You want to talk about a haunted house, okay? These people thought they had it. There's, I think there's a place in Liberty or not Liberty, Kansas City called the edge of hell or something. That ain't nothing to what they thought that they had. They literally thought they were at the edge of hell, the gates of hell. And so you look at the picture of the cave, just the cave. That's the cave. That's inside that part. And notice, what do you think that this is right here? That was an altar for human sacrifice including the sacrifice of children. And so the ritualistic sacrifices were cast into a natural abyss, reaching the underground waters in the back of the cave. If the victim of sacrifice disappeared in the water, that was a sign that their God had accepted their sacrifice. If blood from the sacrifice would flow down, go back to the landscape picture again. If blood from the sacrifice would flow down and you'd find traces of blood in the water, that meant that their God did not accept the sacrifice. Above the cave in spring, worshipers carved niches into the cliff and placed idols in each one. The, 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 the site was dedicated to the, the, the god Pan. Now, Pan was half man and half goat. I don't know about you, but I do not want to serve a God that's part goat and part man. But he was the God of fertility, sexuality, and nature. In order to entice the return of their God, I be careful, I know we have young children here, but each year the people of Caesarea Philippi engaged in horrible deeds, including prostitution and physical interaction with both humans and goats. For the Jews, this setting was blasphemous. It was horrifying. It was terrible. And in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, Jesus is moving toward the end of his earthly ministry. He is now getting heading slowly toward Jerusalem, the Passover, and his crucifixion. But he has just a couple more lessons to impart to his disciples. And so as usual, he takes them to a place, and they find something that he says and does absolutely astonishing. And he brings them into a city that is known for their evil, sexualized worship of pagan idols known as Caesarea Philippi. And he gets them there and he asks them two key questions. They walk into this city where there's just vile, detestable sin, unlike probably anything we've maybe even seen or heard of. And he says, who do you say that I am? Who are people saying that I am? Walks into the city and he says, I got two questions for you. 
Who do people say I am, and who do you say that I am? When Jesus brought his disciples to the area, they must have been shocked out of their mind. They might have even been just a little bit scared. You're taking us to the edge of hell. You're taking us to the gates of hell. You're taking us to that demonic city. Do you know what I just heard on CNN? You know what MSNBC? Just, I just saw a tweet about what went on there last night. You're taking us in there. It was a red light district in a world where devout Jews avoided all contact. It was despicable. It was a city of people eagerly knocking on the door of hell. Yet, Jesus takes his disciples there. This is where the exchange takes place. He walks right up to the gates of hell with the people he's training. And he says, hey, the gates of hell, who do people say that I am? Okay, who do you say that I am? And Matthew 16, 13 says that. And then in 14, it, oh, well, some people say you're John the Baptist, Elijah, some of the, uh, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Okay, okay, fine. That's what they're saying. But I want to know now, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter boldly verbalizes one of the greatest revelations in the entire Bible. He says, you, Jesus Christ, are the God of the Old Testament. You are God manifest in flesh. He never says, you're the Father, there's a Son, wins the Spirit coming, and a co-equal, core, eternal, triune deity. He says, Jesus, you are the God of the Old Testament. You are everything and everyone who you say you are. And when he says this, therefore, what Peter was saying is all power belongs to you. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. But now look what Jesus says to Peter while they are still standing at the gates of hell. He says, I say to you, thou art Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Because of their understanding of who he is and the power he has, he says, I'm going to give you that same power. And in another passage, he even says, I'm gonna, you're going to do greater things than the things that I have done. And like so many places in Scripture, Jesus addresses one situation that is physically in front of them, and he associates it with another situation that is coming in the future. We see this in the prophet Joel. He says, with stammering lips in another tongue will I speak to my people. We preach that as that is the sign of the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of, uh, Spirit of God speaking in other tongues. But when you read it in its context, it wasn't just that. There was a situation going on where his people were in exile in foreign 
foreigners were, were taking over and making them speak other languages. So what, what Jesus was dealing with is even when he told parables, he said, hey, I'm talking about this situation in front of us right now, but I'm really pointing to something else also. And this is what he's doing here, too. He says, hey, this is what's happening. He associates one situation with another. Peter's name means rock. So when Jesus says, Simon, I'm going to change your name to Peter. And your name's going to be rock. And upon this rock, I'll build my church. And so that's how we take it. Well, the rock is Peter. And the church is built on Peter. And some denominations even say Peter's their first spiritual leader, which is fine. Just follow what he preaches, okay? So, so. But, the, but there, the, this is just, there's more to the story than just that. Jesus affirms Peter's response about who he is. Hey, the Messiah, the son of the living God, the false gods of this area, the gates of hell by where they are standing. Peter was saying something, when, when Jesus responds to Peter, it, it's, it's much deeper than just, hey, Peter, your name means rock, and upon your rock, that's how I'm going to build the church. You got to remember, they were standing, go back to the cave. They were standing at this place where there was evil, perverted, sinful, just despicable things going on. And they're standing at the gates of hell. And and Jesus looks at Peter and says, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Jesus looks at Peter and he says this. Just think through this. He's at the gates of hell where false gods and idols supposedly have their greatest power. And he stands there making the claim, I am the most powerful one in this universe. So I just want to know, who do you say that I am? And when someone had enough guts to stand up in front of the gates, of hell and say you are exactly who you said you are and you have all power and authority on heaven and on earth and something shifted in the spiritual climate then he wanted his his disciples before he went to that cross he wanted his disciples to see and experience that we can go into the darkest of dark places and I am still in control. All power is still in my hands. Because after all, a gate is defensive. You don't walk around. I don't think that when Brother Carlos is training in the military that they're saying, somebody, we're getting ready to go to war. Grab the gates because we need to have a good offense. A gate is defensive, and Jesus walks right up to that gate and basically is like, I'm here. And he sends a message to his disciples, and here's the message he sends. He sends the message that says, you don't need to use gates. You have the power on your side to walk right up to the gate and be on the offensive instead of the defensive. Why? Because when you know that you have the most power, 
powerful one on your side, you can walk up to the gates of your greatest enemy, your largest situation, whatever you're going through that you have been anxious about and fearful about and afraid about and wondering where God is, God says, just come with me. Let's go right up to the gates of your largest enemy, your biggest problem, and you begin to proclaim that you know what you know and what side that you are on and say, I just want you to know that I have all power. And so Jesus, he walks up to the gates of hell and basically says, look at this. Look at this, guys. Everybody take a look right here. Oh, Jesus, I don't know if we should be here. Do you know that's where they killed some people? I saw blood down there. Their God might not be happy. And Jesus says, look at this. This represents everything that is disgusting and broken and wrong in the world in which we live. And I, what I want you to know and what I want you to do is to bring the message of love of God and freedom of this message. I want you to show them that this is wrong. And I want you to replace it with something that is meaningful and significant. Hey, Peter, guys, listen up. Build my community on this very rock. Build it right here. Peter's not the only rock. He says, you go ahead and you go to the place that they think they have all control. They think they have all power. That nobody can go in there because it's a place of the, the, the worship of false gods. He, I don't doubt that he stood and looked at this very rock and said, upon that rock right there, Peter, I don't care if they're offering sacrifices to false gods. Walk in and set up shop because I'll tell you something greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. He says, replace it. Some Christians, and maybe you are one of them. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're here today, and you start reading the news and hearing about all these things, and people are feeling discouraged and broken about the, the broken state of our culture. Man, they're talking about abortion and homosexuality, and we're, a, we're in a place that's a hotbed for drugs right here in Liberty and Independence and surrounding areas. I just feel like it's hopeless. I see people strung out and broken and lives just not working. Things. It seems like the enemy just working overtime and I, I just hope that we can stand and sometimes it feels like the gates of hell are prevailing. They're prevailing in society. They're prevailing in our high school system. They're prevailing in secular universities. They're prevailing even in our own home. They're prevailing on television and media and so you start looking around saying my God the enemy's too strong and we're still dealing with the same perverted and sexualized culture that they dealt with. There's different story but it's, it's the same same story, just a different chapter. We're still dealing with false gods and a willingness to expose our, our children to harmful things that can kill them. The enemy's still trying to penetrate culture and make a greater impact than the church is making. How do we move against those gates? Three basic things to keep in mind. Number one, the church has been here before. Oh! 2019, things are worse than they've ever been. This doesn't mean I'm going to preach much longer. I'm still, I'm still short. The church 
has oh we've never been here before yes we have we've been here before it's nothing new for the church to be surrounded by pagan activity jesus sent out his disciples with good news to the pagan world they're trying to kill believers back in the first century when jesus is born okay we've this is nothing that we haven't seen before second thing the church has always prevailed They destroyed all the books. They thought they, oh, but, but, but then we started, then we found something. We started translating in no languages, 1611. We got the King James Version. And now you got, you can download the Bible in any version that you want. Read it right at the fingertips. And, and some of these people that live in the 14th and 13th, 14th, 15th centuries said that, that, that oh, that, that, that book is going to be dead. Nobody's going to follow it. We're following it today stronger than ever before. And so not only has the church been here before, the church has prevailed, but the church will prevail. The church that was built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, the work of the apostles with the power of the Holy Spirit, transforming individuals, it will continue until Christ comes back to get his church once again. No weapon formed against me will prosper because I am more than a conqueror. I'm a part of something that cannot be broken. When I got into the body of Christ, I got into a body that could never be broken. It could never be destroyed. And so Jesus presented a clear challenge with his words at Caesarea Philippi. Now, see, I, I could have started fast like this from the get-go. But I think that when you get the whole story, it's, it's a lot more powerful. He looked at his disciples with the challenge. He did not want his followers hiding from evil. He did not want them saying, oh, well, we're doing well in Galilee. We've got some people up in Jerusalem. My, my God, we can't get into Caesarea Philippi. That place is, oh my goodness, we got some churches in Kearney, and we got some churches in Excelsior Springs in Liberty, but we don't go, we don't want to go downtown Kansas City or Independence, because you know, I've heard about this and that and that. Maybe it's just time that somebody says, Pastor, where you want me to go? I'll go plant a church there. I'll go start. Let's go into the, where the enemy has the greatest stronghold, and walk up to the gates, and knock on the door, and basically say, hey, I'm just here to storm the gates of hell. He wanted them storming the gates to walk around any place they'd like, knowing that they were powerful, that nothing could withstand them. Hear me as I close out this message today. Don't let the evil around you cause anxiety and fear in your life. Don't let the evil around you keep you from sleeping at night or having good solid nerves. You just go like this right now. Everybody take a nice deep breath and go... Hopefully you brush your teeth. You just take that deep breath. And no matter what your situation is, you can go. God's, God's got this. God's got this. It's not like I'm trying to go up in here myself. It's not like, it's not like Peter just said, grab your friends. We're just going to go wreak havoc in, in that area where they're sacrificing kids. Let's go, let's go. No, no, no. They were with Jesus. The key is, is when you're going to go out and you're going to storm the gates of hell, you just better make sure Jesus is on your side. And last I checked, I'm filled with his very spirit. So that makes me powerful.
Fear and anxiety are some of the greatest tactics of the enemy. They want to make those who actually have the power think they are powerless. One of the greatest tactics of the enemy is for you to think you have the power, but if the enemy can make you think, I don't got no power. I, man, I'm just like, like a society. Nothing I can do. I can't do it. I can't even keep my family in check. Stop. Stop. And begin to speak life into your situation. Begin to say, you know what? Listen, here, I don't know, as you stand to your feet today, I don't know what you're all struggling with today, but hear me when I say the gates of hell cannot stand against you. I don't know if you're discouraged with society today, but the gates of hell cannot stand against us. The Lord started building a church, and guess what? He is still building the same church that he started when they were standing at the mouth of this cave, and he said, I'm getting ready to go die on a cross. I'm getting ready to go and be away from you for a while, but I'm going to send a comforter. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. Yay, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. He tried to let them know that I might not be present with you, but if I'm starting to build a church, you better believe I will continue building a church until I come again. And guess what? He hasn't come back yet, so he is still building a church today. And if you're here saying, man, I just don't know where I'm at, if you want to be a part of that church, you don't just join it, you're born into it. And so if you've never been born again of the water, you can be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. If you've never been born again with the Spirit, you can approach an altar. We'll pray with you and God will fill you with His Spirit. This is not just joining a church. This is joining something bigger than one local facility. As we listen to Jesus' challenge today, we as Christians should ask ourselves one important question, and that is, are we on the defensive or the offensive in your life have you found yourself just crouched in a corner covering your face trying to survive a barrage of attacks from the enemy or have you found yourself saying, no, 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 no. It's time for me to stand up. I know who I am. I am on the winning side. Jesus walked up with those followers to the very gates of hell, the most vile place of his day. And he said, I am who I said I am. Does anybody believe it? Peter had enough guts to stand up and say, you are the Christ. You are the most powerful one. Nothing can touch you. You are the son of God. You are God manifest in flesh and so I'm asking if there's anybody today that is willing to get out of those pews and begin to come to the front and find a place to pray where you begin to verbalize God I know you are who you said you are I will walk right up to the greatest thing standing in my life right now the strongest and largest thing the thing that scares me more than anything else and I'm going to speak to that situation because I'm not on defensive I'm on offensive there's a reason why Jesus took those followers to the most vile place and he said listen the gates of hell no matter how wicked how strong it seems no matter what the stronghold is they can't stand against you because on this rock it's not just an altar for false god sacrifices 
on this rock, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to go and I'm going to build my church in the most vile areas. I'm not scared. I'm not afraid of what they're doing. And neither should you be. Walk into those areas. Declare the word of the Lord. Greater is he that's in you. Walk with power. Walk with anointing. Don't walk with fear and anxiety. The church will prevail.